Hello and welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things relating to your well-being, including interviews with experts in the fields of nutrition, physical and mental health, and my five-minute food facts series. I am Amanda Hayes, your host and nutritionist with a passion for well-being. Before I introduce today's guest, I will mention that although I will often be speaking with experts, any information or advice provided in Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast is not intended to be used to treat, cure or prevent injuries or medical conditions and is not a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. Today I am here with my friend Meg Paik to discuss caring for people as they age and well-being. Meg is an experienced registered nurse having over two decades of experience working in aged and acute care. About eight years ago, Meg established Yellow Door, a company that provides staff to care for people in their homes. To set the scene, I'll paint a brief picture of Australia's older population, and by older I mean 65 and above. According to the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, in 2017 there were 3.8 million Australians aged 65 and over, that was 15% of the population, and that is expected to rise to 22% of the population, or 8.7 million, by 2056. In that group, only 35% of older people are sufficiently active, and that is 30 minutes or more of moderate exercise per day. 7 in 10 older people are overweight or obese, and that is a risk factor for many chronic diseases like cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes and kidney disease. And as most of you know, age itself is also a risk factor for chronic disease. A really important part of ageing well is maintaining social and mental well-being. Dementia, and particularly Alzheimer's disease, is one of the leading causes of death behind coronary heart disease for older Australians. The Australian Institute of Health and Welfare again estimates that there were 354,000 people with dementia in Australia in 2016, and most of them were 65 and over. Unfortunately, this number is projected to more than double by the year 2046 to around 833,000. It is therefore very obvious that caring for our older Australians is extremely important from both an economic and health point of view. And this is where people like Meg can make a very valuable contribution to our Australian society. Hi Meg, welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast. Hi Amanda, how are you? I'm well, thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me. So Meg, I'd like to talk about your professional career first. Uh, you've worked as a registered nurse for over two decades here in Australia and overseas, and I believe you also spent some time in ICU. So what made you decide to study nursing? Well, Amanda, my first of all, my mum um, was a nurse. She worked night duty for the whole of my life, pretty much. And so I always saw um, her, I think it's pretty natural to kind of follow in the path of your parents mm -hmm. often. But um, my first love was art. I always wanted to be a graphic designer. Um, but of course, in year 12, when you're 16 and you have to put down what you want to be on your <laughs> um, preferences, 
I put down nursing because I knew that I always wanted to be a mother and I knew that a career in nursing was going to be great for that. So my plan when I was 16 was to do a nursing degree and then do my graphic design and when I had children one day I would be able to go back to nursing quite easily so um, it wasn't a huge passion as such for nursing originally but um, I knew that it would fit in with my lifestyle of wanting to be a mum and also to travel. That shows incredible foresight I think for someone in year 12. So can you tell us then about some of your career highlights? I would say that um, my career in nursing has been very varied. I like um, to have um, variety in my life and I think nursing provides that. Mm -hmm. So I've been able to travel. Um, My time in London was a steep learning curve. I was quite young and team leader of a cardiac step-down unit, not really by choice, but there was quite a nursing shortage. And so on a daily basis, I was kind of pushed beyond my um, boundaries. And so I was constantly learning Mm -hmm. um, with a supportive manager, but was also managing um, other nurses from Australia and um, South Africa in particular. And that was just, it was just exciting. I think it was just exciting to be working in London, to have a role of responsibility, to be doing interesting nursing. And, and I found that great. I also f- loved being in Darwin and in the um, ICU there for premature babies. I really enjoyed that time as well. Wow. Just some variety. Yeah, it sounds like learning new things. You've had a lot of interesting highlights in your career. Which hospital were you at, In if you were at a hospital, that is, in London? Um, I was at the Cromwell Hospital, which was um, near Belgravia in um on Cromwell Road Mm -hmm. and it was actually a Saudi hospital. It was owned by some um, people from Saudi Arabia. It was a private hospital and so I looked after people from the Middle East who Mm -hmm. would come and get have a whole package. They would get their um, hearts you know, done, heart bypass (laughs) surgery. They'd bring their whole family. They'd be there for seven days. They're on a pathway and they had to be better by day three. Day four was the next step and it was just a real process. How fascinating. Mm, It was good because um, often they didn't speak English. So I had to learn a little bit of Saudi, don't ask me (laughs) to speak any Arabic. (laughs) Not going to happen. But I learned things, just simple language like sit up, um, cough, you Mm -hmm. know, um, move that kind of thing um one step two step you know and just a little bit to help help them (laughs) yeah I love the way that working in nursing has allowed you that variety not just in terms of the work you do but the um exposure to the different cultures as well yeah that is the most incredible um part about nursing is that you really do get a snapshot of other people's cultures Mm. because you're in a position of trust and they really do open up and trust you so you're welcomed in um to their lives just for a moment and um, like what you're doing today you get to ask questions and people um do you know like to tell you the answers and Um, You know, say, for example, in uh, London with a Saudi family, they didn't want their grandmother to be nursed on the bed 
and I never worked out why <laughs> they right. didn't want her to be raised. So we had to look after her on the floor. <laughs> oh, I wonder why. There must be a reason, obviously. I find out. Yeah. <laughs> but um, and being a female, so I was very much welcomed into the room, mm. and the burkas would come off, and they would share with me their food, and. Um, you know, as soon as there was a knock on the door and a male would want to enter, even if it was a cousin, mm-hmm. you know, the burkas would go back on and, you know, it was a real How flurry. How extraordinary. It was. So I think you're giving a very glowing review of nursing. So what would you say to young people, men and women, who are thinking about a career in nursing? Um, I think that um, nursing is a fabulous career for people who do want that variety in their workplace, who want to work part with a team, mm-hmm. um, working in um, the ICU, for example, or the emergency p- department. I've spent some time there. Um, you do really work with a multidisciplinary team and um, collaborate together. And I think that that is a fabulous path for men as well as women there are plenty of areas in nursing that suit men perfectly and in the emergency department for example um there are a lot of men who are the nurses and yeah that's kind of i can see why yeah it's interesting isn't it because i imagine meg when you started your nursing degree there probably weren't all that many men doing it in Mm. my year there was maybe three or four men and um, I don't know if they're still nursing, but yeah, now it's very different, very yeah. young, vibrant people um, who are doing really great, interesting work as a career. It's um, very dynamic. Um, if you compare it to other disciplines like um, physiotherapy mm. or um, being an ambulance officer, I think nursing provides all of that um, and and more. So yeah, I... I would recommend it. Um, It's great if you do want to be a parent. You can work the hours that you want to work. It's Mm. difficult at first with the shift work, I have to say. The shift work isn't fun, I would say. You don't get enough sleep and the night duty can be really difficult if you have to do that. But there's, yeah, many different things you can do with the degree. Yeah, so one of my male friends who's been a guest on this podcast, Paul Bennett, did nursing and Back in his day, he said he was, you know, (laughs) an unusual sight in the nursing school, but he now is a kidney and dialysis specialist. So Meg, you and your sister, Chris Kelly, who is also a nurse, she's your twin sister, right? Yes. Yeah. Have established a company called Yellow Door and you provide staff to care for people in their homes. And I believe you tailor the care to what's required for each client according to their needs. I'd love to hear about that and the relationship between ageing and well-being. But before we do that, can you tell me why your company's called Yellow Door? What's the symbolism behind that? Well, Yellow Door, we thought, um, was a broad name that people might remember. It's, it was just a, a name that um, a marketing specialist offered to us as an idea mm-hmm. and we really thought about it um it hasn't been so great in terms of the google seo searches oh right (laughs) (laughs) but it is a name that people remember and it uh, symbolizes the front door of your home and yellow is a kind of sunny positive bright color and that's what we try to do is focus you wouldn't really want gray door (laughs) (laughs) no that wouldn't work i don't think that would work 
Yeah. But people sometimes say yellow road or red door, but um, it is something that I think people remember. Yes. Yeah. Why did you decide to start that? Did you see a gap in the market or was it a more of a passion project? What, what was the impetus behind that? Well, about eight years ago, my husband's father had um, Alzheimer's disease, which he eventually died from, and his wife um, was caring for him at home, but wasn't able to find the right respite for her mm -hmm. so that she could continue doing her role of caring for him. And my search of people to help with that situation, it just wasn't there. And this was about eight years ago. Mm -hmm. Since then, this, everything has changed where that you there's no shortage of um, help should you need it in the home. And so, yeah, there, we found that there was a gap in the market there. And my husband and I had always kind of talked about um, owning our own business one day. And, we were, you know, it was just a source of a topic of conversation really over dinner, what mm -hmm. kind of um, idea, you know, things could we do mm -hmm. and after that experience I said to him how about nursing how about doing something that I know a lot about and and that's how we started. As referenced in the title the article discusses multi-levels that is global national. The care that we provide them is um, anywhere from two hours a week with minor um, tasks around the home, personal grooming, medication mm -hmm. administration, things like that, right up to full-time care. Right. So I assume then with your palliative care clients that these are people who want to um, remain in their homes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, if, you, if it is your wish to die at home, um, we can help people to do that but it does really require a strong family network sure. and advocate and we help provide those people with respite mm -hmm. so that they can continue doing the amazing job that they do for our whole community. Um, their job is um, so important to um, give their loved ones what they, they, they wish and it's an extremely um, privileged Thing to be able to do for someone that you love. Yes, I'm sure. And so, Meg, what then are some of the benefits of people staying at home during that period? I think that the most important aspect is that you have choice and control over what happens and when it happens. Sure. And you can really call the shots. Yep which um, people do for their entire lives and they certainly want to at the end. Um, a hospice is a fab fabulous place to be if um, you don't have that family support yeah, or sure. you have uh, terminal symptoms that are difficult to control um, or you have family that you know find it difficult. It does require um, some strength and right. in the family. Yeah, so. so I imagine, for example, if there was a person who had an elderly partner and their children lived interstate or something, that might then be a bit difficult. Is that the case? That's exactly right. That's yeah. one of the um, examples. Yeah, it's about the family's um, capabilities to be able to take on such mm. a big... So from your point of view, you're dealing with, it sounds like, 
the family, not just the patient who needs the care. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. A lot of the time it is um, family. And in that way, we can help to process the situation to explain um, what dying can look like mm-hmm. and what the next steps might be. And also um, reminiscence therapy really helps people to um, process what's happening or di- divert them so from what's, the pain. what's that, Meg? What's reminiscence therapy? It's simply talking about um, a person's life mm-hmm. and talking over um, where they were born, um, their childhood. Often you're talking to a sibling or to a partner, you know, where did you meet? So uh, do you instigate those kind of conversations? Yes, yes. Mm. I think that's uh, really easy when you've got your nursing uniform on. Sure. You know, it it just kind of symbolises, you know, a person that you can trust. And so you can ask questions. And I think that really helps. Anyone can do it. But, um, yeah, just asking people about their lives um, is really important. And you can see even in such sad times that people have smiles on their faces when they're thinking about the past Mm. and the good times. Yeah, I think sometimes, too, it's often easier to open up to a professional isn't it um do you you said with your nurse's uniform on do you actually wear a uniform is there a yellow door yes yeah yeah there's a uniform and um yeah so some people request for their uh, care worker not to wear a uniform mm-hmm. um sometimes if you have someone who has um Alzheimer's, they might not know why someone with a uniform is coming over, or um, we look after people who have disabilities. It's just not necessary because they're needing a companion, not yes, someone yeah. yeah, who's employed. So on your staff, Meg, it sounds like you have nurses and other type of carers. Is that correct? Yes. So we have registered nurses and we also have care workers who... Um, their qualification is a certificate three or four in individual support Mm -hmm. or disability support. They can do all sorts of things in the home other than uh, medication administration. And they need guidance too, but, um, yeah, we provide that. So you you provide a a broad range of care, it sounds like. A very broad range of care. And if someone has some specific needs, then we will tailor some training for the staff looking after Mm -hmm. them if there's some extra training that needs to be done. And for example, if someone wanted just more companionship and, as you say, personal grooming, is that something you offer as well? Yes. Mm. Yes. So often people just um, need to not be lonely and yeah. so to have that human connection um is so important to someone's wellness and that's what we provide so it might be just taking someone out to a cafe and having a coffee um we promote um you know hand massage oh how lovely things like that a lot yeah. of people in our community um don't get touched mm. at all don't have a hug don't have that 
Oh, that um, makes me so sad. It yeah. is sad. It is really sad. So, yeah, I I think even just a hand massage can make someone feel so much better. Yeah, that's lovely. So, Meg, then in terms of um, connecting with your clients, what are some of the ways that you ensure that they're looked after with dignity and compassion? I think the most important thing would be to listen mm-hmm. and to listen to what their needs are and what their goals and dreams are in life and try our best to help them to achieve their own goals and not try to change their life but to try and um, assist it and make it a little bit better, try to achieve the best version of mm-hmm. wellness that we can in that's cap- that they're capable of. Um, in your experience, would you say even elderly people that you look after, they also have goals and dreams? I think so. Yeah. I think so. Um, some elderly people want peace and quiet and yeah. don't want um, – it really does depend on mm. the person. So, yes, I think that um, they absolutely do. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't – they humans are always striving and thinking aren't we so exactly i think that um, we'll know a lot more when we are elderly yes and it's hard for me to guess sometimes but yeah i would say they definitely have um things in things done the way they like to have them done Mm -hmm. and they know what that, that makes them help, um, happy but it also they also know what they don't like and what makes them feel uncomfortable so they don't want to do that that must be one of the huge benefits of in-home care I imagine because if you're in a um, an aged care residential facility you that kind of gets taken away I imagine you have to fit in with their timetable rather than your own exactly right yeah, yeah I think that there are um, changes that you have to kind of fit into and um yeah, often you do, and it's fabulous, and you're surrounded by more people, so um, there's always something going on, and I think that is very helpful for a lot of people. They're not so isolated, mm-hmm. but that choice of the time of day you eat dinner and that those small yes. things um, you need to adjust to. And do you, when you send someone into a home to look at, sorry, into somebody's home to look after them, do you do you have the same carer each time? Yes, I think that that is really important. Our main objective is to listen to the client, mm-hmm. and that is said over and over again: is that they don't want someone different each time, yeah, I, so that yeah. they have to explain everything and go through the orientation and the routine again with someone new all the time. It really is frustrating for people. So yes, that is one of our main goals: is to have the same person each time. Of course, we always like to say that it's better to have two rather than one in case someone is sick. Yeah, of course. Then Mm. you have a known person coming rather than someone completely new. But Mm. on the whole, yes, um, 
two is what we aim for. And I guess the other thing that's really important and beneficial about that is then they develop a rapport with the patient. Exactly. Yeah. There's a what we call a therapeutic relationship, um, which is hard to not go over sometimes in terms of, you know, you really become a close friend and a confidant. And um, it is difficult sometimes because people rely upon their care workers yeah, as I bet. A, member, a member of the family. Um so yeah, it's uh, and they have they do grow very strong bonds, and it's not just from the um, client or participant; it's from the staff member too. Yeah, I'm They'd, sure. Mm. If you're physically and mentally caring for someone, it'd be very hard not to develop some kind of bond or attachment, I imagine. And Meg, I'm really interested to hear, in your opinion, why do you think it's important for communities to value elderly people? Well, elderly, elderly people are just like us in, you know, 20, 30, 40 years and um, they've lived an entire life that we can learn from. They've had experiences that um, we will never see. I think um, in the future one, one day we'll be able to tell them what it was like to be living in a global pandemic. Yeah. And they have stories like that too from their lives. They've lived through wars, they've lived through all sorts of things. We look after people from many different countries and cultures. Um, and so elderly people can share that information and we wouldn't be here without them. That's right. And I know having conversations with my own parents, they often say they feel the same inside. And I can say now that I'm heading towards the half century. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, I feel that, I mean, hopefully a bit more mature, but you still have the same feelings and emotions. And as you say, we're all still people. Exactly. Yeah, mm. I, I agree. And so, Meg, this year, 2020, you just alluded to the pandemic, has been a really difficult year, but particularly, I think, for people in the healthcare sector. So how have you coped with COVID-19 at Yellow Door? Well, we've had the benefit of being in close contact with the health department and have been on top of the messaging, if you like, mm -hmm. um, since day one. So we were prepared for COVID-19 before the pandemic because of the risks associated with um, infectious disease transmission um, already. So yeah. I think that the healthcare system hasn't had as huge a learning curve as, say, for example, our teachers. Yeah, good point. And so we ha are doing what we do. And infection control is something we have to deal with on a yearly basis, particularly around winter with um, influenza. Mm -hmm. So um, PPE is available in all the homes already and staff have already been trained and have the skills for infection control, hand hygiene. Um, the government put out extra training around covid um, I said that needs to be done within 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think we was, were as prepared as, as we could be. Yeah, you were, sounds like you were sort of one step ahead, perhaps. I felt like we were because we had the updates from the health department as mm. and when they occurred. And with the technology we have today, we could disseminate that yeah. really quickly. And we had uh, all of our staff have apps. Mm -hmm. And so when they turn up to a client's home, they could run through the list of questions 
Um, have you been in contact with anyone right. who's travelled? Have you been in contact with anyone with COVID? And if yes was any of the answers, then they don't. They simply don't go into the home. So yeah, we have had some very vulnerable clients. So it was. It has and still is a very stressful time. Yeah. But um, I guess we're doing the best that we can. Have you noticed um, a sense of fear amongst some of your clients? I think yes. We've um, not from the clients, but from their families. Um, no one wants um, to be responsible for someone getting sick. Yeah. So I think mostly um, the families uh, definitely have been worried and have been reassured that we're doing what we can. Have you felt, Meg, through the COVID-19 pandemic that you've had to change the way you communicate with clients or contact them a little bit more frequently? Yes, you just want to check in and make sure that they're okay, that they're happy with the services, that is there anything extra we can do, for example, meal delivery, Mm -hmm. um, rather than going to the shops and just keeping a little more isolated. But we certainly have used the technology to our advantage, um, like a lot of other industries, we're using video conferencing and Oh, right. That's good, isn't it? That is great. Yeah, Yeah, that has been a real game changer for a lot of Mm. industries, including ours. Um, One, it helps reduce the number of visitors to a home, and but it also helps keep people in contact. And so for some of our elderly clients, they've been set up with iPads (laughs) by family members and yeah, have video chats, which is something new and exciting for them too, where they're learning yeah. new things too. So, Oh, that's great. And it does keep that social connection going, which as we know, is so important. Exactly. Yeah, I think families have really been the ones thinking up all sorts of creative ideas yep. to keep in contact. Through all of this, not just COVID, I mean, the whole um, process of setting up Yellow Door. What are some of the things that you've learned? There's so much I have learned. I've learned a lot about um, marketing and social media and Google rankings and things like that that I've never had anything to do with. Um, In nursing, we've barely used a computer. So I've learned a lot of computing skills. Oh, well done. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and it's funny. I am really proud of that. I can, you know, do an Excel spreadsheet really poorly, but I can do a lot of things now um, to do with business. What else have I learned? Um, I've learned a lot about um, customer service Mm -hmm. and I think that if you treat people the way you would like to be treated, then it really does help. It's not It's not actually, am I allowed to say this? It's not actually a lot more difficult than that. Just listen to people, yeah. answer the phone, return their calls, yes. you know, give them what they want if it's possible. And so I've learned that, yeah, it's, it's also fun. So having your own business. Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds like you really love what you do, which is great. I think so. Most of the time I'm really loving it now because um, the setup and the development and um, my sister and I've been through a lot Mm -hmm. in the last five years. We've uh, lost our mother in the process. So owning your own business doesn't really stop. So that's a really difficult thing to try and juggle. Um, and yeah, but on the whole, I really love it. And now it's, um, so established, um, that, yeah, we can, we know what we're doing and Mm -hmm. we're feeling confident in what we're doing. So we're really enjoying it. And it must be really nice working with your twin sister. Um, she's a laugh. Yes. (laughs) Um, she is really 
funny and so I um, enjoy working with her. Yeah. You know, we're very different um, in personality so I think we work well together um, covering all the bases that you need to have covered in a business. Mm-hmm in lots of different skill sets for different things that um, together we, you know, do it well together. Do you find, and I'm always fascinated by twins, do you find that you often know what the other is thinking? Um, Not so much with my sister and I. We really are opposites. So um, we get one another mostly, but, um, yeah, she has a different way of thinking than I do. Oh, that's interesting because some twins I know they do think the same thing at the same time you know it's yeah, sort I of think, uncanny yeah. I think we might do that we we often have the same response to a situation um but yeah, yeah. not that often yeah <laughs> that was just a bit of a, an aside <laughs> yeah. um, my curiosity yeah. so Meg who inspires you well I I like to keep my inspiration close so I admire the women in my life who both family and friends who do things that um, either inspire them or help them to grow and do what they need to do. Mm-hmm. So um, whether that be um, physic physical challenges like iron women yeah, those challenges, crazy things, <laughs> um, starting podcasts, <laughs> and to just doing what they love to do and what doing what they need to do to make. Um, make their families mm-hmm. work and you know sometimes people have to get through traumas some people have to get through losses or um, you know marriage breakdowns things like that I really admire women who um, can pivot and start again or yeah I have yeah. Uh, a friend who um, lost her job so you know very quickly she kind of went and studied again and is now teaching and I, there's a lot of examples of people who inspire me that I, I deal with. Yeah, my family. Um, yeah, just doing what you need to do for yeah. your family. I think it's small, it's close. And I don't admire too many people who far away or, you know, in the public eye because um, it's not consistent enough and, for me. And it's probably not as accessible. That's know. right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think, too, as you talked about women a bit there, I mean, Women really keep the wheels turning often in a household, don't they, and make sure everyone's happy and well-fed and rested and, you know, looked after and, and loved. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, and I really admire that. I I do genuinely um, enjoy seeing the women in my life um, achieving things and, yeah, that helps me to want to emulate that or yeah. sometimes mimic that. Yeah, and I agree. I think that's a really nice way of looking at the people around you. Yeah. yeah. Meg, the final question that I like to ask all my guests, if you could recommend two things that all people could do to improve their well-being, what would they be? I think that um, I might answer that question for ageing, you know, as yeah, you get great. a little bit older, and I think for me that's already started, <laughs> um, is to look after your physical health um, as you get older it has seems to have a lot to do with your gut mm-hmm. and to be um, to keep regular and uh, for that I would recommend um, like starting your day with a hot water and lemon 
um, and just to keep moving. Yeah. I think it's really true if you uh, stop moving, then, you know, you really do decline in your health. So even if that's just um, a walk around the block each day, I just really think that that's so important to healthy ageing. And the other thing I would say is to try and find some connection in your life, whether it be um, with nature or um, people, animals, Mm -hmm. um, spirituality. Um, Find something that um, you know makes you happy. could be something really small, like, you know, walking to the post office and having a quick chat to your neighbour on the way. Whatever it is that makes you happy, just repeat. Mm, And give it some priority. Mm. A lot of guests on this show have said movement as one of their um, recommendations for well-being. And I think you're so right because it's not just keeping you physically um, agile and able to move, but it's so good for your mental health as well. I think so. Yeah. Mm. Things happen when you move, you know, you yeah. can, yeah. Um, what I like to do is walk my dog yes. on the beach. We've walked our dogs together, which is fun. Yeah. I love that. And it's even, yeah, it's even better if you've got a friend and then you can have a coffee afterwards and you can really connect and um, you just end up smiling for the rest of the day. So yes. you just do that again. Thank you, Meg. And so if someone is interested in uh, looking at yellow door and what you do or connecting with you what's the best way i think the best way would be to look on our website Mm -hmm. at yellowdoorcare.com that will answer a lot of your questions and then if you need any anything else you can give us a call great so i'll put links to that in the show notes so thank you very much meg thank you so much for having me it was was a pleasure i thought it would be interesting to wrap up this episode with a very brief summary of a study published recently in March this year in the European Journal of Clinical Nutrition. It's called Nutrition Amid the COVID-19 Pandemic, a Multi-Level Framework for Action. It's authored by Farah and Rena Hamaday. As referenced in the title, the article discusses multi-levels, that is global, national, community and individual, because tackling a global pandemic requires cooperation on all of those levels. However, in relation to individual actions, when it comes to nutrition and COVID-19, these are the points that the article makes. Diet has a profound effect on people's immune system and disease susceptibility. Gut microbial composition is significantly determined by diet and therefore shapes the characteristics of the body's immune response. On an individual level, The nutrition recommendations during the COVID-19 pandemic are try to eat well-balanced meals, avoid irregular snacking. Choose foods rich in vitamins A, C, E, B6 and B12, zinc and ions such as citrus fruits, dark green leafy vegetables, nuts and dairy products. Maintain a healthy lifestyle of exercises, regular sleep and meditation. Avoid smoking, alcohol and drugs. Refrain from spreading misinformation related to nutrition and dietary intake and the COVID-19. So those are pretty standard recommendations, I guess, apart from the last one, for living well and maintaining your well-being. Thank you for listening today. I hope you found today's interview interesting or inspiring. 
If you did, please share the podcast and tell your friends about it. And if you could take a minute to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, it will help people find my podcast. If you would like to subscribe to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast, you can subscribe on all good podcast providers like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Spreaker, Overcast, iHeartRadio and Google Podcasts. You can also subscribe on YouTube. Simply click on the red subscribe button. Please follow me on Instagram and Facebook and please check out my website at www.amandaswellbeingpodcast.com where you can contact me via the contacts page. Please feel free to suggest topics you'd like to learn more about and people you'd like to hear interviewed and I will do my best to deliver that to you. Producing the podcast is a labour of love. It has become my full-time job to which I dedicate a lot of time, money and effort. If you enjoy my podcast and would like to support it, I would be so grateful. You can make contributions via my Patreon page or via PayPal from the support page on my website. I'll put a link in the show notes and please do check it out. Another way you can support my podcast is by purchasing a book from the book reviews page on my website. If you click on the Amazon link there and buy a book, at no extra cost to you, I will receive a small commission and I thank you for that. Thank you very much for tuning in. Eat well, move well, think well.